Hello and welcome to the Modern Divorced Podcast. I'm your host, Billy Tarasio. I'm the owner of Modern Law, a family law firm in the Phoenix area. I've been a divorce attorney for more than 15 years. I've got four kiddos and I'm divorced myself. And on this podcast, we're going to cover everything related to divorce, be it legal issues, financial issues, children issues, blended family issues, counseling, mediation, and more. I hope you enjoyed the podcast. Hi, this is Billy Tarasio with Modern Law and the Modern Divorce Podcast. I'm here today with Paul DeLowry, a fellow attorney here in Arizona. So excited to talk to you. How are you doing today, Paul? I'm doing fine. Thank you, Billy. I'm so excited because we are going to talk about protecting money. And Paul is um, an estate planning attorney and an attorney who protects wealth. And, um, you know, as a divorce attorney, there's nothing that is a quicker way to reduce your wealth than getting divorced and losing half of it. So Paul is going to talk to us about how we might be able to not lose half of it, um, even in the event that there might not be a prenuptial agreement. Right. So, uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. And uh, one of the one of the things that I've just run into a lot is people are not super excited about signing prenuptial agreements. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know, I think I saw a statistic recently that 17% of people would sign a prenup if asked. Wow. So uh, anyway, so, yeah. <laughs> so um, there are actual ways of uh, setting things up ahead of time and it's better to do it ahead of time, mm-hmm. like before you're married. Mm-hmm. Um, and, so why, why, why do we even do this? I mean, uh, well, for one, in a community property state, and you can go into a lot more detail about this, but there's community mm-hmm. liens and all this stuff. And, and uh, community property is pretty sticky and it starts you know, s- sticking to all kinds of things. Mm-hmm. Um, inheritance, prior, pro- prior property, businesses where the, I don't know, where the wife goes in once a week and, you know, helps clean or, you know, as a part-time secretary or, or whatever. Uh, and all of a sudden, you know, she has a claim that she was helping out build the, build the business. Um, so how, how do you, how do you change that? Well, just as a general rule, mm-hmm. what you don't own can't be taken from you. Mm-hmm. So that's the, that's the first, first thing. So there are some ways that you can take a business or asset and put it in, for example, a trust where it's not in your name. You're not the trustee, you're not the beneficiary, but then you want to have some special ways to still be able to control it or get access to it later or make changes. So that's that's the trick. Uh, I mean, one of the rules of that, another rule with asset protection is you don't want to just protect it, but then never have access to it again. Right. 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 We don't just want to protect it. So let's take a minute. Let's take a minute and go over like basic community property um, concept because it is intense. And the, the idea is that when two people get married, they become one unit that is the community and the community has its own interest apart from each individual. So uh, that sounds like it's all fine and dandy. Um, But it can get really tricky because it means that any action that you take while you're married is on behalf of the community. So even if you don't intend to be building something for the community, because let's say you started a business, you know, way before you got married. 
Um, and you don't want to split that. And the general rule is if, if you, if, if you come into the marriage with an asset, then it is your sole and separate property. So, all right. Anything is, everything is community, except if you came into it before you were married or it was inherited or it was gifted to you as, as a, as a human, (laughs) not as the community. Mm -hmm. But when those assets grow during the marriage and when community efforts helped any of the assets grow, that's when the community has an interest. And, and of course, for high asset earners or business owners, businesses can grow enormously over the course of a marriage. So, um, and when that happens, I, as a divorce attorney who am representing the, the non-owning spouse, I go in and I make a claim for a community lien for a portion of that growth. Now, how could you prevent me, the divorce attorney, from getting my community lien? So it's a, let's say it's a business from before the marriage, mm-hmm. right? Okay. And not to be seg- or whatever, uh, just hypothetically, husband is going there um, all the time, working in the business, the business grows. Mm-hmm. Uh, you're saying that that's, yeah, he was doing that on behalf of the community. Yeah. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, that's tricky. I mean, one way to not have it be part of the community would be to uh, not have it be part of the community, meaning that if it's if it's possible, uh, and we start getting into all little details here, but just high level, if it's possible to have it in a trust where the uh, the the owner is not the owner anymore, then that's that's not community property. I mean, it'd be the same then as um, you know going to a job, and uh, just because uh, you know maybe. Uh, husband or wife works at a law firm, let's say, um, and and uh, keeps working there. Well, um, you don't acquire an interest, in, assuming you're not a owner of it. You you don't get an interest in it just because you're working for a job. So that that would be kind of the same thing. Um, now there are other details. For instance, uh, okay, he's working at, at a uh, business that he doesn't own. How does he get? Well, he would take a salary, I guess, or take, you know, get wages out that way. Um, so that's perfectly fine. That's you know, that obviously is part of the community. Mm-hmm. Um, so let's and, let's make our hypothetical like let me let me set up the fact pattern a little differently. Okay. So so um, a husband and wife get married, and husband owned a string of movie theaters. Let's say. Okay. I don't think that's a really good fact pattern because I'm pretty sure all the movie theaters are owned by huge conglomerates, but let's pretend he owns movie theaters and um, they get married. There's no prenup, but this is both of their second marriage and they keep everything separate. Um, they get ma- they stay married for 20 years. During that time, he really builds up the movie theater business. He opens two, three more movie theaters. Um, they're always in his name. They're always in LLCs owned completely by him. They get divorced and she says, I want a portion of the growth. Um, what can he do and what could he have done differently? Um, well, what he could, you can probably speak to what he can do now, like, cause he, he already kind of botched it, botched it all up. But, um, but what he could have done, for example, have a trust where, He's not the trustee. He's not the beneficiary. He's out of the picture. Maybe, maybe his kids or their kids are the beneficiaries or whatever. Um, 
And that truck, now the issue with that, he, he doesn't control it. So if you have the movie theaters owned by that trust, Uh, You know, he has no management ability. He has Mm -hmm. to go to the trustee to write checks. Mm -hmm. So that's not good. So Mm -hmm. how about this? So you have the trust um, that owns an LLC or owns, then owns the business. He can, even though he's not an owner, he can still be the manager of it. And uh, so, so the trust actually has no ability, you know, let's say, let's think worst case scenario. So he gets, um, he gets his buddy to be the trustee of the trust. uh, And then, you know, the buddy gets a gambling habit and wants to take over the movie theaters and sell them or something like that. Well, he can't because um, he, he, he owns the, you know, he owns it as trustee, the theater, but the manager is still husband. So the husband has all the authority to do anything or sign anything. And um, so, I mean, that, that would be a quick and dirty way of doing it. Okay, so let's talk about that for a minute. When you're when you're setting up an LLC, you have to check whether or not it's member managed or manager managed. And you're saying um, you could make an LLC owned entirely by a trust that is right. that is manager managed, and the manager is the husband. Right now, husband yeah. is not the owner of the trust that owns the LLC, but he is a beneficiary. Or tell me about that. Okay, so this is. And this is like the area of practice for like the super nerds. I don't know. How- <laughs> right. We are super nerding out right now. I'm going to, I'm going to super nerd out for about two minutes. So there's a whole issue. You can go on the internet and read about this. There's an issue about single member LLCs and mm-hmm. are they protected and blah, blah, blah. Um, maybe make him make husband a 1% ma- 1% member who's also a manager. Those aren't necessarily the same. People say mm-hmm. managing member, you mm-hmm. can say that. If you want, just to, because it's easy, it rolls off the tongue, say he's a 1% managing member of, of the LLC and 99% non-managing interest is owned by this trust. Mm-hmm. So, so then, yeah, okay. So you know, maybe wife then has an interest in the 1% of the LLC and they would have to deal with that. But that's, a, that's not as bad as 100%. Okay, so he only owns 1% of this LLC. Um, a couple things that would be really hard, I think, as a business owner, if I had to jump through those hoops, I can't really sign checks. I can't go open bank accounts. Like, how do I do that? How do I? Well, he's, he's the manager. Of course he can. Okay. Okay. And it's, and it's the same thing. I mean, let's imagine this: the movie theaters are owned by an LLC or a corporation or whatever it is right now. Mm-hmm. Um, and... You know, so right now he's a one percent. I'm saying a one hundred percent member, but now, but we just change that to be a one percent member. But he has full authority to manage and make any decisions. Okay. So it's the same. It's the same thing. Okay. So, and how does he get? How does he retain the benefits from the trust? So, a um, couple different ways. He can take a salary, and he can. Uh, he can borrow. This is actually a little trick. So instead of just getting distributions of profits from the from the trust, um, he can borrow from it. And uh, the benefit of doing that is because because it's a loan, and we'd probably set it up as a line of credit. Uh, because we're setting it up that way, from the trust's standpoint, uh, the the trust is going to want collateral to make sure that it gets repaid. 
So what could he set up? What could he use as collateral? He can actually use his car and personal bank account and other assets and, and maybe interest in the home or other things like that. So all, all of a sudden then this, that's actually taking, that's removing community property. So now mm-hmm. there's even less um, at, at stake in a future divorce. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Very interesting. So as a divorce attorney, I would have to add this trust to the lawsuit of the divorce. And, um, I think the bottom line is the more layers you put between your money and whoever wants it, the easier it might be to protect it. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And and the trusts do work. I mean, I've seen, I've seen them work in divorces, uh, perfectly valid, perfectly legitimate. Yep. Yeah. And what what I've seen, I'm sorry. And one of the leading causes of divorce is, uh, financial problems. Mm-hmm. So this is even protected in a bankruptcy. Oh, really? Yes. Nice. Yeah. What what I have seen is when, when there are very complicated divorces and lots of layers of money and lots of layers of LLCs, um, first of all, the divorce attorneys make a lot of money because they got to pour through them and figure out where all of the money is and whether or not money has been hidden and wasted because if money has been hidden or wasted, then we as a divorce attorney can get at it. But the more layers um, and the more entities involved, the more people that we have to add to the divorce, like if so-and-so transferred all their money to their grandma, like that's, that's an issue. And grandma might have to become part of a divorce. And usually it doesn't happen. And usually it settles. So while a prenup is probably preferable because it's crystal clear even even when people find themselves in a place where they're not protected by a prenup, there are actions that they can take. Right. It, let me mention another another thing too. And I, <laughs> so before I even say this, let me just mention: I was a Boy Scout. I went to Catholic high school. I consider myself honest and a deep down a good person. But I'm going to say something sleazy. <laughs> <laughs> So I like the disclaimer. <laughs> so there, there's nothing illegal about um, husband and wife both doing a doing something like this together. Like let's say let's say they've been married, they have an asset, it's community property, and they um, they agree to do to put something outside of the community. There, there's nothing. There's, I mean, and how how do I even see? It? say this. I, I probably shouldn't say this because this is going to go on the internet and all that kind of stuff. But but if if one of them is careless, let's say, and doesn't protect his or her interest, and it ends up outside of the community, and the other spouse happens to have the ability to make changes and have, you know, change who the trustee is and ultimately has control, um, you know, that that's just something that happens, I guess. Well, I I mean, you're right. So when people are married, there is, people spend money all the time. mm -hmm. Either the wife or the husband spends money and it's gone. After it's spent, it's gone. And so when they get to the divorce or DJ, it's not like you can get back money that your spouse has moved or spent or used in a way that you didn't approve of. So it's, it's, it's really the exact same concept. Right. I guess so. Yeah. 
Yeah. And I, I'm not advocating to try to trick your spouse into signing something or something like that, but, but you're right. I mean, there, there are ways, there, there are ways to, to do this. It's, it really, okay. Bottom line, way better to do this before you get married. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. And then, and the other thing to consider is you're always allowed to do a postnuptial agreement, even if you haven't done a prenuptial agreement. Right. So if you find yourself in a position where things are not going well financially or your business takes off, right? The business that you started before you were married, that was your side gig is now taking off and you know, it's separate property because you know, you owned it before, but now you know that it's huge and it's, your family's relying on it. Better to figure out right now, how do we want to protect this asset moving forward from everyone, from every potential event, from creditors, from a potential divorce, from a potential death in the family? Like, how do we consider protecting our assets in a very broad sense um, with divorce being just one risk factor? Sure, sure. Yeah, and I've done that actually as part of a asset protection plan. Like just, oh, really? just separating. Yeah. Like I, I map things out. Like I, I you know, I, um, I map things out for clients all the time, you know, where things are going to be owned. And in order to make this actually happen, we need to have an agreement that this is sold on separate property. Oh, interesting. Okay. So this is major. So if a couple comes to you and they have high assets as part of your estate planning, are you considering, you know, what happens in the event of a divorce? Well, yeah. I mean, I have to think holistically. Okay. Okay. And so how do you protect a couple's assets in that case? Who do you look out for? The husband or the wife? Or how do you protect the assets? Well, because I'm representing both, usually, usually, I'm representing both of them. Um, so, I, and I'm taking your example. So something is sold and separate, but but there's a, the possibility of it getting kind of muddy down the road. I mean, mm-hmm. it's possible to to clarify that just right now and make it so it's not an issue in the future. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So. Okay. And when you're doing an estate plan with a married couple, are you usually valuing the assets that exist at the time? Sometimes. A lot of times I don't have to, but... Um, I mean, the the reason usually for me to value things is if there's a tax reason for it. Ah, okay. Like if we're making a gift to, uh, uh, gifting it outside of their estate. I don't frankly do that a lot because the estate tax amounts, the exclusion is so high right now. It's around 10 million for a single person, 20 million for a married couple. And just there aren't that many people that are over that. It, well, and, and frankly, it's it's easy enough to to you know um, transfer things and and not have to worry about it. So, um, but, but yeah, that's that's the main reason for actually doing a valuation, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay, and and does uh, transferring assets to trusts and other vehicles does that implicate or how does that implicate what taxes might be owed? Um. Well, I'm pretty careful to have it be tax neutral, if at all possible. So, yeah, it, it, I mean, at, at the worst case, it's tax neutral. And there might maybe there's a limited partnership, and then you have to do a limited partnership tax return okay. each year. But, but there's no additional tax on it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very, very interesting stuff. It, it, it really does tell me that, like, the more money you make, the more complicated things get, and the more planning you have to do. 
Oh yeah, absolutely. Well, and uh, another thing too, I just wanted to kind of address um, if if I can get on my soapbox just for a, a quick little bit. I know this is your podcast. So no, I, I... let's do it. <laughs> so the term asset protection is really popular now. And there are asset protection attorneys and uh, financial advisors who say they do asset protection and insurance people say they do asset protection. And like when I say I'm an asset protection at attorney, I, I'm actually going to stop saying that because no one knows you know, I'm in competition with life insurance agents mm -hmm. who are also doing asset protection and say they do exactly the same thing as I do, which isn't true. Mm -hmm. um, so there, there are uh, basic, I mean, I call them sev seven pillars of asset protection. I, and I don't have to go into all of them right now. But, but one, for example, pillar number one is that your assets are protected in, in any state um, and under any circumstance, if it's divorce or bankruptcy, uh, uh, you know, uh, government action, IRS audit, any anything like that. Okay. And so, so that's when I'm saying when I'm so sorry when I'm talking about asset protection. That's really what I'm talking about. So I'm talking like holistically making sure that things are protected. Okay. I just wanted to throw that out because I I am so glad that you did. Yeah. Um, that sounds pretty pretty remarkable that you could protect assets from all of those threats. Well, yeah. And uh, you have to do it a certain way. Mm -hmm. there, are, there are very popular things right now. For, for instance, uh, my pet peeve is asset protection trusts. Mm -hmm. And uh, they're incredibly popular because they promise that you can be the, you can be the beneficiary of this trust, but at the same time, your creditors can't get to it. So you actually put your, everything you own into this trust, you're still the beneficiary, uh, but your creditors can't get to it. Oh. And that sounds, that sounds amazing. And Arizona is actually on the verge of adopting a, a statute like that. Wow. Um, and the problem, well, there's multiple problems. Uh, they're, they're not recognized in the majority of states. So mm -hmm. if you get sued in Texas or Illinois, it's, for example, or California, it's not going to help you. And then um, well, it, it, it's not protected in bankruptcy. Mm. That's kind of a huge deal. I mean, if you, if you want your things to be protected, then you, you know, let's, let's say, I don't know, some bozo sues you for a million dollars for something that, it, you know, it's just made up mm -hmm. and the judge, I don't know, the judge didn't like how you dressed, you know, on the day of trial and rules against you. Now you have this million dollar judgment. Well, you think, well, I'm protected because I have this, uh, whatever, Alaska Asset Protection Trust or De uh, Delaware Asset Protection Trust. Well, you're not because um, uh, your your choice is, well, um, if you want to uh, file for bankruptcy, it's going to be unwound and all of that, yeah. all of the assets are going to be made available. Oh. And, and if you don't pay the, if you don't pay the creditor, mm -hmm. uh, the, the creditor can actually force you into an involuntary bankruptcy. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, I don't like that idea at all. Yeah. So anyway, enough of my soapbox. Well, um, I'm, now I'm curious, though. We don't have a ton of time, but what are the other six pillars? <laughs> okay. Um, uh, creditors can't limit how you use your assets. In other words, you, you, 
you need to you want to be able to have control. So mm -hmm. that's that's part of it. So just putting things into a trust where you don't control it, it might be protected in a way, but you know, like a business. I mean, you want to be able to control your business. So right. that's not. Um, you have to be able to change your mind. Uh, so you, there has to be some flexibility. Um, uh, the creditors can't dictate how your kids uh, enjoy the assets or, and also it has to be protected from their um, poor choices. Yeah. So, you know, you, you set everything up, it's protected from your creditors, you die, everything goes to your kids and they, they become uh, drug addicts and, and uh, gamblers. Yeah. So that's not, that's not really good. Mm -hmm. uh, and let's see what else oh frankly another one of the other ones is uh, to have um to take care of all of the administrative details and so so actually um it, i apologize ahead of time but i'm, I'm going to do a quick little ad because i'm starting a new venture where i'm going to be offering um services to families uh to help them take care of all the administrative junk that that they you know they don't want to take care of like dealing with the you know the insurance and um just just lawyers and estate planning and all the little details that can go wrong so just making sure that everything's all buttoned up yeah that, that's one of the other important things does that include um actually making sure that the assets that you own are titled in the trust oh yeah 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 because it's yeah, see, i see that a lot where people have trusts but then nothing is in it Right, right. All the little details like that. Yep. Got it. Very cool. Well, well I know that uh, my big takeaway from this is that uh, you really got to do some planning. You really got to think about how you're structuring your life and your money to protect against all the risks, not only divorce, but but all of the other risks, including, you know, frivolous or, you know, non non-legit lawsuits mm -hmm. and when people look at at you and they see that you've got nice cars and a nice house and a teenage driver you know you kind of become a target for those lawsuits that, that's true there are people like that yeah yeah so but it's good to know that um people can contact you how can people find you um uh, magellanlawfirm.com okay uh, so, yeah m-a-g-e-l-l-a-n law firm and uh or uh let's see phone number i guess 602-443-4888 great and i'll make sure to have all of that information in our show notes um thank you so much paul it was great talking to you today good, talk. good talking to you take care bye take care. Bye, bye thanks so much for listening to the modern divorce podcast remember anything you've heard today or anything you read online is not the replacement for actual consultation with an attorney and does not create an attorney-client relationship. Even if you called in and we spoke to you, you are anonymous and we don't have your details and you have not become a client of Modern Law. However, we would love to speak with you or you should seek out the advice of legal counsel or counseling or any other expert near you. And if you have an idea for a show topic or you need to speak with an attorney in Arizona, you can reach me at info, I-N-F-O, at mymodernlaw.com.